Hi, I'm Carmen LaBurge. Thanks for listening to the podcast of Mornings with Carmen LaBurge. Encouraging you to live as an ambassador of God's kingdom in the world. This is Mornings with Carmen LaBurge on Faith Radio. like the idea of a edit button I do I'm kind of an edit button fan what am I talking about who even am I I'm Carmen LaBurge welcome to mornings with Carmen this is faith radio if you've just tuned in here's what we do together every single morning we bring the mind of Christ to bear on the matters of the day and so what matters today in um, in the world of matter hmm it's a good question what matters today in the world of matter and what matters today in um, in the world of the spirit and spiritual things? Yeah, we're going to cover it all. Um, Bill English will join us in just a moment. I'm going to tee up some business headlines for him. One of the questions I'm going to ask him, which this will give him a couple of minutes to think about. How does Bill English feel about the proposed edit button on Twitter? Yeah, I, I kind of like it. Um, Elon Musk is, uh, yeah, you know him. He's a really rich guy. You know him from SpaceX and uh, Tesla. Um, he is now Twitter's largest shareholder. And so as the largest shareholder, um, in their maybe limited wisdom, they offered him a seat on their board of directors. And he then immediately took to Twitter and started proposing ideas like an edit button, which, of course, everybody on Twitter wants. So um, I think the edit button would be an an intrinsically good thing, right? We ought to be able to edit our thoughts. It would be good. It would be helpful. People uh, having thought twice about something may may then want to edit the way that they said it or that they said it at all. And so that's going on in in the world. Um, What's your edit button? How do you hold your tongue? What do you do when you need to go back and say to someone, um, I misspoke, or I shouldn't have said what I said, or I regret that I said what I said? And then how do we get that edit button uh, tuned up in advance? Uh, It's really less of an edit button and more of a filter. How do you tune up your internal filter so that Jesus Christ is taking every thought captive in advance, and that way what comes out of us is grace and truth? other parts edited out by the Spirit of Christ in advance of our loosing our tongue in a particular direction. There you go. Um, Maybe that would be the conversation that we want to have today. How does the Holy Spirit serve as the internal edit button for the Christian prior to our posting things on Twitter or anywhere else? Uh, Tiger Woods announced yesterday that he intends to play in the Masters this week, pending a final walkthrough today. Actually, the walkthrough is the big deal. So he's um, he's going to do uh, a, a walkthrough today at Augusta. Um, why is the walkthrough such a challenge for him? Well, he has back issues. You might remember that a few years ago he had a really serious um, spinal fusion. And then um, just some 400 days ago, 14 months ago, he was in a very, very serious 
uh, one vehicle car accident in California where he very seriously injured his leg. And so walking um, long distances up and down hills um, in uneven terrain is difficult. And that's actually what Augusta National is designed to be, a long walk over uneven terrain up and down hills, which got me thinking about the walkthrough that you and I are going to do today as people of faith. You're going to do nine holes today? You're going to do a full 18? You're going to get out there? Do you intend to play in the Masters tournament this week, the real master, the master of the universe? How are you going to walk your faith out in Christ? What's your walkthrough going to look like today as you walk by faith and not by sight? Let's get out there and walk around with the Holy Spirit today. Let's see uh, where the Spirit leads us. Um, And let's be sure that every step we take is a step of faith. You're listening to Mornings with Carmen. I'm Carmen LaBerge. This is Faith Radio. Next up, Bill English from BibleandBusiness.com. Bill English is back from BibleandBusiness.com. You can follow him on Twitter at Bible Business. Hey, Bill. Good morning. Good morning, Carmen. Nice to hear your voice again. Thank you. Thank you. Should there be an edit button on Twitter? Absolutely. Right? Absolutely, positively. So I so. feel like Elon Musk, if he can achieve the edit button, he will have like consumer support beyond imagination. It's the little things in life, isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> okay, so take us into a board. Take us into a boardroom. I mean, I, yeah. I was tempted to say that he basically bought himself a seat on a board, but I mean, he now owns more um, equity in Twitter. Is that am I saying that the right way? He owns more than nine percent of the of the shares of the company, which is uh, way more than um, anybody else owns. Um, and so they offered him a seat on the board. Um, and I would like to suggest that that means he basically bought himself a seat on the board. So is that the way corporate boards work? Like most of us have never been on a corporate board. So, um, how does it work? Well, I've never been on a corporate board of a fortune 500, so I really don't have any firsthand experience there. Did he buy himself a seat? I, you know, I, it, it can be looked at that way. You know, Elon Musk, it, it single-handedly will probably change the entire automobile industry. And by this purchase in Twitter, he may end up changing the social media industry as well. Uh, when, when you stop to think about a guy who is as crass and I think, does he self-proclaim that he has Asperger's? Oh yeah, um, he, he, yes, he did. He, uh, when he introduced himself um, on Saturday Night Live, he said, I'm the first person with Asperger's to ever host Saturday Night Live. So, yes, he, he claims to be a person on the spectrum with Asperger's, in fact. Okay. So, and and yet this guy, um, very brilliant and probably not all that much fun to be around, I would suspect, is going to single-handedly change at least two major industries worldwide. And, you know, think about that. 
Just that that's the part that I marvel at. If we can get an edit button, yay. You know, Twitter's finally in the 21st century with everybody else. Uh, I was joking with Paul offline. Could we get an edit button for other people's tweets? That's what I want to know. You know, <laughs> can I edit? <laughs> so. Oh, now see, I think I like that. I like that. How far well, Paul, will the Twitter Paul edit button go? Oh, yeah. See, I... I, I just think it'd be fun to be able to edit other people's tweets, but then you wouldn't want to be—you wouldn't want somebody else editing yours. So I doubt that will happen. All right. Now, to be fair, before you all start adding me about Elon Musk, yes, I know his personal life is a mess. I know that he and Grimes have uh, two children, um, both of which I think we should be—I mean, you know—at some level really concerned about. Um, he and Grimes and their two children. Um, yeah, I mean, on and on and on. It's, I mean, I realize that the guy is a complicated mess, but this is a fascinating, um, conversation in terms of how one individual, how one individual can change the world in really, really significant ways. And you and I, as Christians have the power to change the world in significant ways as well. So don't ever underestimate your um, power as a change maker. You may not be able to do what Elon Musk can do, um, but you can do what God has called, equipped, uh, and is empowering you to do today. All right, Bill, um, anything else on that front? No, no, other than I would like to see the edit button on Twitter. Yeah. So. There we go. All right, Elon, if you're listening, two votes for the edit button on Twitter. <laughs> um, all right, I want to have a really wide-open conversation with you about an incident. I mean, well, the incident at my grocery store is what provoked me to ask you this. But I think that there have been a number of experiences in my life where um, I could um, I could lift up this issue or from which I could lift up this issue. So here's the issue. And then we'll take a we'll take a pause and let you answer it. Um, The issue is people who bring way too much uh, of their personal stuff, baggage um, issues, their personal stuff into the workplace. So. Um, in the particular incident to which I am referring, there was a employee at a particular deli who, because he was holding the attention of all the other deli employees, um, those of us who were actually customers could not get served. Um, and so, you know, there's there's some level at which it's okay to be sharing our personal concerns with our fellow employees. But when it becomes really disruptive to the actual operation of the business as a business, it seems to me that it has um, gone too far. So I'm going to ask Bill English that as a question instead of telling a story when we come back. You're listening to Mornings with Carmen. I'm Carmen LaBerge, and this is Faith Radio. All right, continuing our conversation with Bill English from BibleandBusiness.com. All right, Bill, wade into the uh, the thorny terrain of how much is too much to share at work, um, what's going on in our personal lives. Yeah, it, some of that depends on the relationship between the people, you know, between the person who is sharing and the one who's listening. Because, uh, you know, one of, the, one of the hallmarks of a great workplace is that you develop really good friendships at work. Uh, people tend to uh, transition to other jobs when they don't have good friends at work. So I think with some of your good friends at work, you know, sharing a lot more than what you would share with other people would be normal, frankly. Is there too much? Um, I There is sometimes, and, but I think it's usually between people who are mismatched. 
and don't have the right relationship uh, for that kind of information to be shared. On the other side of that, though, Carmen, I think is uh, an element where the one sharing, if they are sharing too much and it's uncomfortable and it's obviously, you know, tiring, um, they probably lack support in their own life and they probably lack the maturity or the self-control to uh, manage that properly. So, uh, and, and it may be the reason that they lack support is because nobody wants to be around them. Nobody wants to hear about it over and over and over again. And so uh, these, these people tend to be lonely, I think, at times, and they tend to lack the self-control necessary to be professional in the workplace. So give us a little equipping on that front. Um, oh. So, I, you know, if it's somebody that I feel like, uh, you know, um, really does need more support than I am either able or willing to offer in the context of, uh, you know, of a work environment, you know, can I say, gosh, it, 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 it feels like we keep circling back around to the same conversation. And I'm wondering if it's time for you to get some you know, some support in this. Maybe it would really help you to talk with, um, to talk with somebody, uh, you know, beyond me. I'm clearly not, you know, I, I'm clearly not uh, able to help in a way that is sufficient because, you know, obviously we keep returning to this conversation over and over and over again. Yeah, part of, uh, you know, a phrase that I use, and, and I do go a little bit out on the limb here sometimes, a phrase that I use is, it's clear that God is trying to get a hold of you. Mm. because he, you're going through a deep water and you're confused. And this is one of the ways that God gets a hold of people when they don't know him. And that's usually mm. depotentiating uh, for those people. Um, depotentiating? What does that mean? That is quite um, a word. Sorry. I'm writing that down. Depotentiating. <laughs> what does that mean? Well, what does that mean? It, it, you know, potential. You know, you have yeah. potential to do something. I took away your potential. It's 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 depotentiating. It takes away your ability to be self-sufficient. Mm. It's a life. It has become a life-controlling issue. It, it might be, but I think I think when when God takes people who don't know Him through deep waters, and then He sends a messenger into their lives, so that that messenger can point them to Jesus Christ during their deep waters. Depotentiating is a word that I use. They no longer are self-sufficient. They have to rely on somebody else, mm. and this messenger is introducing them uh, to Christ. So that's that's a phrase I use. But I also tell people that you know, you you this sounds like you need a a professional therapist, and uh, you need to find one. Um, if they're if I'm the manager, and I'm, I'm going to flip into manager direct report mm -hmm. role here or manager and somebody on my team is doing this. Um, you just need to be compassionate. You need to be fair. You need to be balanced. Um, you need to hold confidences and you need to manage them with the knowledge that you have that others may not have. So here, here's an example. Um, at one point I had a gal, um, I had two gals um, who worked as part of a larger team and these two gals really got along very well. And they're both excellent people, excellent work, product. I mean, just love working with them. One of them got pregnant uh, first time, you know, and she's all excited. The other one already has one child but has a lot of difficulties getting pregnant and keeps miscarrying. 
I didn't know this until she came to me one day and she said, look, um, I just want you to know that I just had, she called it a medical event and I need to be home for the next week. And I just kind of looked at her and I, and the Lord just said, she miscarried. And I just, I saw, I asked her, I said, did you miscarry? And she said, yes. I said, that's fine. Take, take the week, be at home. I get it. Right. Cause my wife and I, you know, we miscarried three times. And so I get it. I understand that. Right now she's coming back to work and she sits in, in the cube or, or at that time she, she sat in the cube next to the other gal who's pregnant. Now, how do how do you, how's that going to go for her? Right. Mm-hmm. So in, in the, in, so I actually went to her and I just said, look, um, any time that this is emotionally not good for you, just call me and say, Bill, I'm not going to come into the office today and I'll let you work from home. Right. That to me, that's a manager managing to the situation that he or she knows being kind and compassionate to an employee and the manager. I may take a few arrows from the other managers as why is this person getting special treatment? Well, you know, I can't tell you, but you got to trust me that I know what I'm doing when I'm managing this situation. Right. So those kinds of things have to come up. Is that sharing too much? Probably not. But if I were to share it around the office, it would be, yeah. Yeah, exactly. All right, a corollary to all of that might be when vendors or employees um, bring too much maybe religion or politics into the workplace. Um, I had this experience as well recently where, you know, I'm, I'm sitting getting my hair cut and in the chair next to me, that person and the person doing her hair are... Whoo, having a political conversation that um, it was really hard for me to resist not jumping into and correcting them on many points. So uh, talk with talk with us a little bit about that. <laughs> just stay focused on your People magazine. I um, did resist. I did resist. My The gal doing my hair just kept saying, I'm just here for the hair. I'm just here for the I'm hair. I'm just here for the hair. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you know, sometimes you just have to stay out of it because those those are no-win situations. You are never going to change anybody's mind. That's part of the problem with social media. I don't I don't really do politics on social media anymore because you're not going to change anybody's mind. It's not a discussion. It's a debate, and I don't debate. I just don't do that. So, yeah, I, and- you know, I don't know, but in, but in the workplace, if I'm the manager and somebody's doing this or a vendor's coming in and doing this, if it's a vendor, I'll just tell them to shut up. Because I can do that because they're a vendor. I don't know if we're allowed to say that on Christian radio. So Okay, I'll, Bill, I will tell yeah. them to hush, hush. <laughs> um, hush your mouth. You're in the South, hush. Um, <laughs> exactly. But uh, but if it's an employee, I'll have to pull them aside and say, look, you know, you got to leave this stuff out. You know, all I really care about is what you do in these four walls. But what you do in these four walls is my business and you need to just leave it at the door. I'm really <sighs> direct about that stuff. I say it's hard, though, right? I just think that the times in which we're living where so many relationships are um, work dependent, work related, um, it's I think this is really hard for people. And I think that in a um, in an environment where some people are beginning to go back physically to work environments with um, people who they really have only ever known um, online in, you know, in like Zoom meetings. I mean, so many people came into the positions they're now in during COVID. And then they're going to actually like physically inhabit space with one another. And so I just think it's, there's just some interesting times coming. Um, and we all need to be, you know, prepared and gracious in the midst of it. 
it, it, but it's more difficult in church, right? You get with somebody in church and they start to vomit all over you, every mm-hmm. every detail of their life. That becomes more difficult. Um, the, the way that I handle that is to listen to it for a while and then use my phraseology about how God's trying to get a hold of you and you need to find some therapist and can I help you find the right uh, support because I'm obviously not that person. Mm-hmm. Or just come right out and say, it's obvious to me that God is convicting you of your sin. Like this is what's going on here. It and normally be, yeah. they will, they will, yeah, that, that, that will either, that will result in one of two things. Radical transformation, which is thrilling, or they, they will avoid you in the future because they don't, they don't want that messaging. Yeah. All right. We got to leave it there. Yeah. I'm, I'm, I've completely run over our, our time. Oh I love gosh, talking with you. Time, Thank oh, you yeah. so Me much. Too. That's Bill English from BibleandBusiness.com. Um, you, can, you can see him on Twitter. Uh, yeah, at Bible and Business. All right. Uh, you're listening to Mornings with Carmen. We'll be right back. All right, some days John Stone Street uh, at Colson Center's Breakpoint just hits it out of the park. I, um, I think this is one of those days. Indeed, indeed. Um, so there you go. The Great Commission. The Great Commission. When I say those words, do you know to what I am referring? Do we understand the Great Commission of Jesus Christ to the church? Do we understand that we are co-missionaries with Christ in the Great Commission? So the Great Commission is the statement, the co- the, the commission of God's people who are then also the commission, like we are the commission of the Great Commission, that we would go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them everything Christ has commanded and recognizing that we do not do it alone, but in commission with Christ who is with us always, even to the very end of the age, the Great Commission. Do we understand our responsibility, our identity, as great commission missionaries. And then how do we live that out in personal mission, in congregational mission, as the mission of the church in the world today? We're going to talk with Hunter Farrell about freeing congregational mission. What does it actually look like? What what might be a practical vision for congregational ministry and mission, companionship, cultural humility, co-development, All that up next here on Mornings with Carmen. Hunter Farrell is an old friend of mine. He is one of the most humble and gracious Christians I know. He's also very adept in terms of World Missions. He's the director of Pittsburgh Theological Seminary's World Mission Initiative. He has worked for decades as a missionary, a director of world mission um, efforts, and a professor of mission and intercultural studies. He comes to us today as the co-author of Freeing Congregational Mission, a practical vision for companionship, cultural humility, and co-development. Hunter, welcome to Mornings with Carmen. Hey, Carmen. Great to be with you. Thanks. It's wonderful to have you here. Let's just start with the problem. What is the crisis that we face in um, in global congregational mission? 
Right. Yeah. Thanks, Carmen. As I think about it um, and what the research, we, we spent about um, four years talking to 1,200 congregational mission leaders. Um, this is evangelicals, mainline Protestants, and Catholics alike. Um, and what they um, helped us to see was there's a twofold crisis that's facing congregations as they try to engage in mission in the way of Jesus Christ. The first is almost this cultural undertow that's taken us from the way that our grandparents understood mission, which is the church's service to the world, serving the world in the name of Jesus Christ, transforming the world in the name of Jesus Christ, to one of mission as personal transformation. It's what mission does for us. Um, and I remember one uh, a large evangelical congregation in the South, uh, she described her role as being more about, uh, more, more akin to a, the social director of a cruise ship um, and less of someone who's mobilizing people to share Christ with the world. That, that's the first challenge to us is that selfie mission is what we call it, that people see mission as personal transformation, what it does for us. The second is kind of that, that lingering impact of colonial mission, that understanding, the unchristlike understanding that mission flows from the powerful down to the less powerful. Um, it, it sees mission as obligation. It's what the church should do because we're blessed with so much rather than the joy, joyful sharing of Jesus Christ with the world. So we look at those two challenges, selfie mission and colonial mission, and we look at ways that we can help congregations to free themselves from these, these challenges and move into mission as done in the way of Jesus Christ. So you offer us these three stones, a theology of companionship, an invitation to cultural humility, and the power of co-development. They're all three essential, and I'd love for you to describe them. The theology of companionship um, is really, really like the essential starting point. What does that mean? Yeah, well, I, I see this as... I think we need to sort of strip away the varnish. So many of us have have just varnished this table of God's mission in ways that reflect our image rather than God's. Um, because I think that um, unless we look at mission as primarily rooted in life-changing transformation that happens um, through human relationships, um, we will, we're going to miss the boat. Um, and so we look at a theology of companionship as Christ-centered um, mission that's rooted in Jesus' priority of loving relationships. These are the things that change the world. It causes the woman at the well to come back to Jesus and want to tarry with him, the uh, uh, man who the, the legion of demons was cast out of. He wants to be with Jesus. He, people just wanted to be in the company of Jesus. It's this deep sense of, of connection and, and uh, relationship. And, and we have transformed mission into a, almost a task list at, at times. Uh, many of our congregations uh, take all the equipment they need. They do everything. They pay 100% of the freight. They, they do it all for what they perceive to be a community of need. But rather than seeing that as a relationship, we, we found that about 92% of young people uh, within the year after they go on a short-term mission trip uh, don't have any uh, relationship, don't even exchange an email with the people that they visited. So our book is really an effort to rediscover that deep centeredness in human relationship that Jesus begins. It's a, it's a spreading circle of relationship that actually changes the world. So that's what we see as this theology of companionship, Carmen. 
So we're talking with Hunter Farrell about uh, a brand new book he has co-authored, Freeing Congregational Mission, A Practical Vision for Companionship, Cultural Humility, and Co-Development. If you are um, a leader of Congregational Mission, we want you to have a copy of this book. And so we're giving away copies today. You can enter the drawing by texting the word book to 877-933-2484. Um, Hunter, I think that, you know, there's probably people listening right now who there's a lot of mental pushback to what you're saying um, because they thought that um, the right thing to do was to pay 100 percent of the cost, uh, take all the supplies that were going to be needed, um, you know, and certainly be sure you drop off a lot of uh, of soccer balls along the way. Um and yeah, think of missions as a task list. We need to build a school. We need to build a church. We need to, like, we need to do four. That is the major shift, I think, that you are helping us um, see here. This is about relationships, um, and this is about with, not for. Yeah, and, and I, I think the, the bottom line question that we need to ask ourselves, there's two questions. One would be the golden rule. How would I want... Uh, people to do to me or to my children. And so if we just use that power of a question in our mission committees, at our our session, vestry, council meetings, our leadership groups, um, to ask, it it sort of recenters our our focus on how this is being perceived, how this is being felt by uh, the folks with whom we're working. That's the the first uh, question or or challenge to us, Carmen. The, The second one is, I guess we'd have to ask ourselves the question, after all said and done, what will last? And um, sometimes we'll build a fence, we'll build a, an outhouse, we'll build a school, and these are great things. But the the uh, majority world is littered with these white elephants that people can't maintain because oftentimes they weren't even part of the consultation as to what was needed. Um, sometimes um, when we're responding to express needs, we build things or we do things in a way that that isn't helpful to local local community. So uh, this is not a critique. Um, it's not a, a hard critique of congregational missions. What we try to do is take each of these initiatives, the, the ways that congregations are engaged in mission, according to our research with 1,200 um, congregational mission leaders, and build on those. How can we subvert short-term mission? If you've got, you know, 10 people in your congregation who are willing to put money into an encounter with people who are very different from them, Wow, praise God, that's a beautiful Mm -hmm. gift. How can we flip that so that they get into a deep and long-lasting relationship that's going to mean for mutual change? Um, I I keep hearing every time I go to a a missionary retirement (laughs) gathering, the missionaries always said the same thing. These are people who've been on the field for 30, 40 years. Their lives have been deeply embedded in sharing Christ with people in another culture or context. And consistently, they would say, I received so much more than I gave. And I said to myself, what is it in this exchange that points so clearly to this deep mutuality? All of us are beggars, right? Uh, seeking the bread of life. Uh, we're coming together at the feet of Jesus Christ. So it seems to me that this opens up a way for us to sort of sh- strip off this varnish that's that's, uh, help, that's keeping us from seeing the beauty of God's mission as as it is, that's going to connect us in deep ways and connect us more powerfully with Jesus Christ, whom we serve. Yeah, when you talk about mutual um, mutual change, I'm thinking about um, somebody we just recently talked to. His name's Marshall Wade, 
he's an oral surgeon and, you know, he was sitting in church. This is now 20 years ago or 30 years ago. And um, um, there's a, a person from Ukraine standing there talking about, you know, we're now, we're a brand new country. We're, we're free. And, you know, I'm a Christian and, and we need people to come. And uh, Marshall Wade is sitting there in his congregation and um, mm. saying, God, I know you've been calling me to do something. Is this mm. it? Is that the place? Are these the people? Um, I mean, he's now, I mean, this is, you know, fast forward 30 years. He's now so intimately engaged and involved in, I mean, he calls it his second country. He's, right. you know, he has an right. ongoing, incredible relationship. And he brought us, I mean, you know, along along with the conversation that we had with him about what they're doing and how he's engaged, you know, from here in America with his friends mm. there in Ukraine, he brought mm. us a conversation with a person in Ukraine who came oh. to Christ through the ministry that, you know, Marshall Wade has been now involved in mm. for uh, for more than 20 years. When you talk about mutuality and you talk about relationships, I think that's what you're talking about. It It mm. does start with this, you know, this genuine heart of a willingness to be used and then we have to recognize we're going to be changed, too. There's a mutual transformation that takes place when we develop real relationships with real people um, in all kinds of places and spaces. Right, right. And that is, I think, that that spirit of, of, of cultural humility, uh, stepping into that relationship, even as Jesus did. Who <laughs> Jesus took 30 years to learn the language and culture of the people before he preached his first sermon. <laughs> Would that we would be so faithful uh, in mm. in our approaches. Even even first you know first call pastors who step into a new situation. Can we take the time to listen and understand the the symbols, the codes, the rituals of the people God has called us to serve? I think I think it requires that level of cultural humility and seeing oneself as a learner. Um, and I, I'm just imagining the the cost of that. Christ-centered solidarity that uh, Marshall Wade has experienced. He's paying that cost now as he sees Ukraine, you know, crumbling, uh, just being torn apart by this aggression. It's 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 powerful to me because he he's feeling that now in a way that he would only have seen it as distant headlines twenty years ago. So, God bless him. Yeah. All right, we're talking with Hunter Farrell. We're talking about freeing congregational mission. It is a practical vision for companionship cultural humility, and co-development. It has great, very practical tools and resources. If you are a leader in congregational mission, we'd love for you to have a copy. Text the word book to 877-933-2484. You're listening to Mornings with Carmen. I'm Carmen LaBerge, and we'll be right back. Continuing our conversation with Hunter Farrell, the book is Freeing Congregational Mission. We are giving away copies today. If you'd like to enter the drawing, text the word book to 877-933-2484. Hunter, there's so many really great tools in this book. This book feels like a toolbox. Um, If there are people engaged in congregational mission, it feels like you are placing in their hands everything they would need to walk um, in a really significant way with their congregation and congregational leadership to a very different kind of um, congregational mission experience. Like you're giving it all away in the book. It's awesome. 
Well, I appreciate that. That's what that, that's what our intention is to do, Carmen, um, because the big change, and you and I watched this happen in our years of work together, um, we saw over the last, you know, it's been 40, 50 years, really, if you look at the history, the one of the biggest changes in the ways that God is working through the U.S. church today is the question of protagonism. Who's leading this? It used to be the mission elites, the denominational execs, the uh, Catholic missionary order superiors. Those were the people who allocated funds and people to mission. They strategized, they prayed, and they sent out. Nowadays, that's happening in every congregation in the U.S. It, it is a massive change. The world is flat now in the world of mission. And so these are the people who are making decisions. As we talk to 1,200 of these leaders across the theological spectrum, uh, we recognize that they're struggling deeply with how to lead their congregations faithfully in a very complex world. Um, and so they asked for help, specifically tools. So we surveyed them and said, what kind of tools do you need? And we prepared those. So in um, Freeing Congregational Mission, you see seven specific tools designed at the request of congregational mission leaders, uh, like how to navigate uh, intercultural difference. How, to, how can we communicate better across intercultural difference? Um, how can we evaluate the work that we're doing in a development project? Um, we found that um, almost 70% of um, congregations don't evaluate their mission work in any form. They don't ask any questions afterwards. How was that? Did that go well? Much less ask questions of the people that they worked with. So we, we try to provide some of those tools, and we're finding the, some resonance in terms of congregational mission leaders using those tools and then reporting back to us their experiences. So the very first tool is what's in a picture, guidelines for representing others through photography. The list mm. of questions in here is really, really good. What is the purpose in taking this picture? Why is this person seen or action compelling? Um, what story or stories are you trying to portray? Would I consent to this photograph if it was a picture taken of me or my child or my loved one? Would I want my community or my neighborhood depicted in this way? I mean, on and on and on. I think for a selfie culture and for people who often engage in short-term missions in a way that is very, very selfie-centric or self-centric, mm. uh, uh, tool number one is incredible. Mm. Um, that's just so good. Well, thanks, Carmen. We're, we're finding that that's the case. That that has had particular resonance. And we do this again. I just want to uh, um, reinstate the, 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 the feeling behind this is one of confession uh, rather than accusation. Mm -hmm. Because Balajedlang, my co-author and myself, we've done this in a hundred different ways when we should have known better. Um, I remember traveling with two Congolese um, colleagues, uh, the president of the seminary where I taught in Congo and one of our students. And we had traveled for like, this was 66 congregations in three months <laughs> across the, the southern part of the United States. And, and as we traveled, the, the student kind of increasingly tried to signal to me something that I wasn't quite getting because I just didn't want to hear it. He said, the question was, I, he said, I noticed that most of your, most of the slides that you show, this was in the age of slideshows, most of the slides that you show portray our folks as very poor or unable to help themselves. Why is mm. that? Mm. And, and that question just haunted me because I looked at my slideshow that night as I gave it and I said, oh my gosh, this centers me. I'm the center of God's mission. It's, this is Hunter's mission. 
this isn't the mission of Jesus Christ. And so it helped me to do a, just a, to, to shift gears and look for ways at how are the ways that I speak of mission? How do I speak of mission companions? Um, and how do I portray the mission of Jesus Christ in both words and images? I think if you, if a church just sits down and puts, you know, um, puts pictures, the, the images that they use on their website, say, spread those out on a table, let the mission committee or the, the elders or the, the leaders of the church walk around and try to identify, how are we portraying these people that we're called to love in Jesus Christ? The, the results are shocking. We portray them as, as weak, unable to help themselves. They need us. We're, we're, we're God's answer to their, we're, we're God's hands and feet. <laughs> and we need to think about the uh, how, how biblically true that is. I mean, there's, there's a part that God calls us as God's, as you said at the top of the hour, um, co-missionaries with Jesus, to be sure. But we forget that that w- woman at the well also becomes a missionary. She is a missionary in training, and she goes to her own people in ways that we could not have done. So I think there's some some deep wisdom about trying to see mission in a deeply mutual way and ask ourselves, how do we portray these people whom God has called us to love? Oh, I have two stories that I want to tell, which I don't have time to tell thoroughly. But <laughs> um, but I, my heart for all of this and my understanding of this was radically changed on a trip to Malawi when I was 40. Um, and I met mm. two women, one one named Mwawi, who, you know, she has nothing in terms of material wealth, she has nothing. And she's a grandmother seeking to raise her orphaned grandchildren. And, you know, she lives in one room and it, I mean, I mean, on and on and on. Um, mm. And she and she said um, that, you know, she was describing her ministry and her ministry is mm. to pray for people like me in the West mm. for whom mm. she has great pity. Um, and I mean, you know, and it, she celebrated the hours that she has to sit in prayer with the Lord. Because she knows that my life is so harried, I have little time to pray. And she pities me for that. I mean, her relationship with the Lord is so profound. And I, I and she's praying for me today. Like, I know that. Like, that is mm. incredible and crazy to think about. Um, mm. And then the other is a, a, a young girl whose name was Precious. Mm. And I don't have any contact with, uh, with Precious. But I will tell you, Hunter, that I, my life was changed the day I was mm. pitied by an orphan in, 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 in Malawi. Mm. Um, she looked at me, she had so much depth of, I mean, her heart was so broken to find mm. out that I was single. I lived across the country from my family and I lived all by myself and had no, no husband and no children. She couldn't imagine, like it was a like fate, right. like, and of course, you know, I lived on Hilton Head in a nice house and drove a convertible. And I thought my life was great from her right. worldview. Like I was, I was like a person so greatly to be pitied because I was mm. in her view alone, alone mm. in the world and, and nothing that she could imagine would be worse. Um, and so I do think that um, spending enough time with people, real people, to understand their worldview and their concerns and their heart for Christ and the way we're going to share eternity together changes the way we approach missions. Um, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, all right, Hunter, what a, what a blessing. You're so dear. Thank you so much for your ongoing ministry, your influence in my life. Thank you for this book. It's Freeing Congregational Mission, A Practical Vision for Companionship, Cultural Humility, and co-development. Um, Hunter, thank you so much. Great to reconnect with you, Carmen. Thanks so much. So, so great to reconnect with you. All right. If you want to enter the drawing for the copies of the book we're giving away today, text the word book to 877-933-2484. Thank you for all of your comments on the comment line. I um, really appreciate that. I see you. I hear you. I'm sorry I didn't have time to read your comments on air. Um, But I do see you. I know you and I love you. Hey, be praying for me today. I'll be praying for you as well. Appreciate this time together. It's such a gift and a blessing. 
Love it if you would go ahead and go to MyFaithRadio.com and sign up to read the Bible together with us during Holy Week. Um, We're going to start doing that, obviously, on April the 10th. And so we'd love for you to have the free downloadable materials, and we'd like to send them out to you as well. So go to MyFaithRadio.com. Join us in reading the Bible together during Holy Week. All right. Have a great day, and God bless. Thanks for listening to this podcast of Mornings with Carmen LaBurge from Faith Radio. If you haven't, you can subscribe to automatically receive the podcast through iTunes or the Google Play Music app. That way you never miss an episode. It's also available anytime at MyFaithRadio.com.